like a horror movie where it's like you say, don't go in that room. You know that, you know, the murderer with the axe is in there and the audience is screaming, don't go in there. But you can't they can't stop it because they can't hear you. Our guest today is attorney and author James Stuber. After earning degrees in political science at UPenn in Columbia and his law degree at Georgetown, James served as chief legislative assistant to a senior member of the U.S. House of Representatives. James then embarked on a career in private practice, but in 2014, he returned to public policy as he began research on his book, What If Things Were Made in America Again? In his book, published in 2017, James chronicles the sad history of America's policies of sending our factories and jobs overseas and the resulting destruction of lives, families, and communities across America. Okay, listeners, um, I am really thrilled to have James Stuber back. Jim is um, one of my favorite guests, and we've done about, I don't know, five or six podcasts on China. He's an expert on China, and there's always new developments in China. And uh, we're kind of, James and I are on the edge of our seat. The last couple of weeks have been um, for China watchers, uh, the grand finale of, uh, of, of the denouement of the, of the Chinese uh, experience. Um, but before we even go into what we, what we want to talk about, uh, there's some updates from James regarding him personally relating to China that I'd love the listeners to hear about. James, tell us the new things in this week and that you're up, what you're up to. Well, thank you, Jonathan. It, it really is great to be back with you. And uh, the most recent developments are, uh, as you know, uh, over these last few years, I've been working closely with the Coalition for a Prosperous America, the only organization that's representing true American manufacturers, farmers and ranchers in their efforts to turn U.S. policy uh, around. And I'm happy to say that I'll actually be doing that full time now. I've been writing legislation for them and doing research. And uh, so now I'll be legislative counsel to the CPA with a more formal position. And I just couldn't be happier. Uh, the work they do is fabulous. Uh, and uh, as you said, uh, it's kind of your and my moment and it's CPA's moment as well, as we've seen the political winds changing and people recognizing the threat that China poses to uh, the America and the world order. So, so that's just, I'm just, I couldn't be more pleased. That's the coalition for a prosperous America. And, uh, how long has this organization existed? About James? twelve years now, uh, and uh, wow. they were a spinoff from the National Association of Manufacturers when Nam oh. when Nam went globalist, and they were no longer representing yeah. American uh, manufacturers. <laughs> so right. uh, their uh, website, by the way, for our listeners is prosperousamerica.org. It's all one word, prosperousamerica.org. And they are always posting a wealth of information. And I, I recommend them highly as a source of information for our listeners who care about these things. Uh, the other thing that I'm also uh, delighted to be doing is uh, helping uh, the U.S. companies who want to manufacture things here uh, raise the growth capital they need to do that, to buy those new machines and expand that factory especially in response to the Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act and the uh, Infrastructure Bill. All of those bills uh, uh, created these great opportunities, but the companies do need uh, investment to take advantage of them. And so uh, I have uh, formed a, a, a private equity firm to do that. Uh, and you know, often these are companies that are CPA members and or should be CPA members. So those those two uh, things go hand in hand. 
And I'm, I'm very pleased uh, to be helping these companies now bring some of this production back that we thought was such a good idea to send to China. That is really wonderful. And yes, there certainly is under Biden uh, uh, the legislative and uh, economic incentive to rebuild this country, the infrastructure, uh, start competing with mm -hmm. chips, EV batteries, and and all the other technologies um, that uh, the Chinese have so dominated uh, in the <clears throat> in the in the past. So great, that's really great. What's the company called? It is uh, Security Capital Partners. <laughs> Security Capital Partners. They have a website. Uh, uh, not yet. We are just getting it off the ground any day now. We should have cool. them. Uh, and and then uh, the final thing, back to the CPA, and we'll be talking about this during the show. Uh, CPA has mounted a particular effort to address uh, China's uh, participation in uh, the U.S. capital markets and how the United yeah. States has been using uh, our capital markets to support China. So that's been part and parcel of it all. I look forward to speaking with you about that. Okay. Okay, James, thank you so much. I'm very glad for you personally, and, and certainly politically, I'm glad for you that you're on this case. Okay, let's go to our podcast. Um, I don't know what's wrong with me, but you know, I have been obsessed by this Chinese situation for about two decades, um, maybe even more, but at least for two decades, I've been writing uh, and, and talking about the, the rise of China and the threat that China has posed to the world order or to the United States specifically. And it always appeared to me that basically their economic model was that of a drunken sailor, drunken sailors. I mean, here they are uh, on a on a government basis, uh, spending fortunes on outer space, uh, spending fortunes to uh, to to build uh, structures all over the world. They've loaned foreigners about a trillion dollars under the Belt and Road and other initiatives, which hilariously Biden just dub, dubbed the uh, Debt and Noose uh, Initiative. Uh, they have Confucius Institutes all over the world to uh, spread uh, theoretically uh, you know, uh, Chinese information about Confucius, but it's really Communist Party propaganda. Um, I mean, you know, they, they bought... Uh, they, they built a, a, an airport in, in Antigua, which an Antiguan architect told me is a piece of shit and is going to fall down in, you know, uh, within a decade or whatever. Their fishing fleets have dominated the planet. I mean, the, the Chinese government is just all over the world. They've done everything they, that they possibly can. Privately, they've, the, the Chinese people have bought chateaus in France. Uh, they've bought vineyards in Italy. Uh, they bought office buildings all over the world. They bought the wall of Astoria, which to me is the pebble beach of our time. We'll get to that in a little later. Um, they're, they're, they bought uh, parks, all, you know, Smithfield Pork Company, even bought a racetrack privately in, 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 in uh, St. Lucia. You have to go in St. Lucia to see this. They spent millions of dollars on a racetrack in St. Lucia and it's bankrupt and the government's trying to find the lender for it. They don't know where he is. They can't They can't seize the property. He's defaulted on all the loans. I mean, the, the high-speed rail in Africa, which which goes from one place where there's nobody to another place where there's nobody. Uh, they've spent tens of millions on luxury handbags, you know, in, in, in Paris going on shopping sprees. I mean, this is just one gigantic shopping spree all over the planet and now it seems to have come to a crashing end because of the defaults in the in the property sector so 
I've seen this movie before. It's called Japan. I mean, I'm so old that I remember when Japan was going to dominate the planet. And now, you know, they've, they've suffered like three decades worth of deflation. And every week, the central bank has to intervene, throwing more uh, yen into the into the currency markets just to keep the place from totally collapsing. So what's next? OK, it's clear the boom is over. Everybody's forecasting lower growth. What's next in terms of uh how, how China's reaction to all this? Yeah, it's a fascinating history, Jonathan. And I don't know, uh, I, I'm just stand in awe that you caught on to this so, so long ago, uh, before so many people did. And just before you mentioned Japan, I wrote on my notepad, compare Japan. <laughs> you know, in, in many ways, we've seen this movie before. But uh, so it hasn't all been drunken sailor, because remember that in the beginning, they were really uh, playing catch up the same way as the Asian Tigers did. And it worked, you know, th this uh, this catch up economics where they build their uh, basic industries first and then move up the chain. And then they start uh, exporting, you know, so much more. You know, it's an export driven catch up uh, economy. And that worked out great for them, especially because the government had such power that they could just decide to invest $50 billion in the solar industry and take over the world's solar industry. So that side of it worked. But I think that, uh, as you said, that the way that plays out, uh, you know, all of this infrastructure, what they never were able to do was to build a, a strong consumer base into that economy. And so they were they were stuck kind of building all this infrastructure for their GDP and never got the, the consumer side uh, going. So that that's been an Achilles heel. But I think the big Achilles heel in all this has been the fact that it's been being run by the Chinese Communist Party. And so that skews everything. It adds a dimension that we didn't see in Japan because they are true believers and they really believe that what they call socialism it's really communism is the better way and it and they really do want to take over the world and so it i think that that's what leads them to do some of these things we can only describe as folly with some of these investments you know in St. Lucia and the Bahamas and so on so um that's i said that's the history but then my last point when we look at what's coming we also have to add that that CCP uh, side to it. Um, but I, I think that uh, as to where we are is kind of where I came out five years ago when I finished uh, researching my book, which was, you know, I looked at the possible scenarios and I said, I think that China is just going to keep muddling along for the foreseeable future. And that's what Japan did. Yes. Right. And the reason that yeah, that, that mean, might still happen now is because they are yeah, so entrenched in our capital markets. We keep propping them up with hundreds of billions of dollars of American uh, investors money flowing into these uh, these Chinese companies. So. Uh, but isn't that isn't James, isn't that going to come to a crashing end? You know, Evergrade or Grad just filed for bankruptcy in, in a New York court. Mm -hmm. I mean, last week. I mean, is uh, why would investors continue to invest in a in a deflationary environment? There's something like thirteen hundred. Get this amusement parks that are abandoned in China. I mean, I read that number. I thought it was a mistake. I couldn't believe it. I mean, there's so much overinvestment in China in housing, in transportation, in retail, in 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 uh, uh, in amusement parks. Why would an American? Where would they find a return on an investment in a, in a in a collapsing economy? I don't understand why. Why? Who's going to prop up that? I mean, we're going to buy 
debt or is this going to be something you know we're going to buy buy this stuff in a quarter of the quarter of the value unfortunately i think that uh the place where we have to start to answer that question is the fact that our wall street firms stand to make uh, a lot of money and fees for uh doing these these deals wall street just still loves uh china in the first instance because they make a lot of money doing it and in the second instance is for some reason they do seem to have blinders on as to the uh, economic risk you know they're treating china just like any other emerging economy which are inherently more risky but uh, i think one of the big reasons is that uh wall street's making a lot of money and then they've done it so much that they're already co-opted they already have such a huge investment in china that now they have a huge stake in in supporting it so case in point uh, there's a company called Syngenta that is about to to announce a, an IPO, an initial public offering, and there it has two parent companies, ChemChina and SinoChem. They both have been deemed military and industrial uh, complex companies. Uh, they were by the Trump administration, and that means they're so tied into the uh, to the Chinese military that uh, they get sanctioned, and people aren't supposed to be investing in them. Well, uh, unfortunately, the globalists in the Biden administration, uh, because there's always this internal tension there, got them dropped from, from those lists. And now we're about to uh, support Syngenta going public through our capital markets. So I think one answer is that Wall Street is just so invested in it all that uh, they are really not uh, letting their consumer investors know what the risks are. Uh, it's, it's just buried in their, you know, you take a, a mutual fund at Vanguard and, and they've yeah. got a piece of it yeah. that's, uh, you know, their Asia fund. Or you have no idea what's in there. So um, I think that it's just this in, this invested interest that Wall Street has in doing this stuff that is uh, letting us invest in things we have no business investing in. Okay, I'm sure that that's true, and I know it to be true. Tell me, though, what legislatively you're doing um, on the Hill to prevent this. Well, happily, uh, there is a lot of interest uh, among various members of Congress uh, in in calling a, you know an end to this. So, uh, for example, there was a vote recently. the uh, The federal uh, the retirement system has a fund that. Uh, invests and uh marco rubio led a charge in the senate uh that that uh passed 55 to 45 but it wasn't the 60 votes needed uh to say no we're not going to have our federal employees especially our military federal employees uh having their their retirement funds invested in china uh, cpa supported this effort and we're going to continue to support it and get to the 60 votes we need and so you see uh, various pieces of legislation like that kicking around to uh, just kind of chip away at this, you know, one piece at a time. So uh, the Coalition right. for Prosperous America right. has launched uh, an initiative to pull all of those efforts together into a piece of legislation we will support that will attack this on the various fronts. For example, uh, no investment of, of federal retirement uh, monies in, in China. Uh, requiring them to disclose these things, uh, requiring these companies to have the audits that all American companies have to have, uh, pre pre prohibiting them from investing in U.S. agricultural land. There's The list goes on. So uh, happily, uh, we are kind of riding point 
on an effort to pull that all together and to uh, attach ourselves to those places in Congress that have awakened to this, because there's plenty of uh, people who are like the, the House Finance Chairman who are still thinking, you know, the old way. Right. Um, what's the Wisconsin senator that's the head of some U.S.-China study? Oh, let me think. Um, I'm trying to think who that is. He came out and he finally said what every, what's been on my mind for two decades, that why are we going to finance our own self-destruction? He actually came out and said that in a quote last week about all the initiatives he's he's involved in uh, in, the, in the Senate. Um, and it was really smart. I mean, I don't remember his name, but it was it was like, wow, that was pretty powerful. You came out and finally said that we were, you know, the architects are our own destruction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, Ron Johnson, I think. Ron, yeah, that's who, that's who it was, Ron Johnson. Yeah, the, he's, the, he's the head of the U.S.-China Senate Committee or something. Oh, or some, well, and then there's uh, the, uh, in the House, we've got the, uh, the Select Committee on China. And this is interesting, Jonathan, um, because, you know, people take pot shots at a lot of things the, uh, re, the new Republican majority are doing in the House. But this is one that I think really is salutary. And we're seeing some bipartisan uh, effort uh, in this. Oh, sure we are. Uh, where they're uh -huh. really calling attention to these things that these other committees have been sweeping under the rug. Because these other committees, yeah. many of the members are in the pocket of the companies they're regulating. You know, the banking committee is taking all their finance uh, uh, contributions from, from the financial community. So here we have this select committee that is highlighting a lot of this. They don't have legislative power. But uh, they can propose legislation. And so uh, at CPA, we're working with them to uh, really actually write some legislation to address these things. But they're holding these hearings and they're they're really making people stop and think about all this. Right. OK, that's I, I, this is all coming together again. We, 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 are we going to is this going to be a situation of like kicking China when it's down now? I mean, <laughs> You know, I really, as an investor, uh, business person, see you know, an implosion. Uh, I'm reading there are 80 million empty apartments in China. They're not just empty. They're unfinished. Uh, they don't even have uh, sinks or, or plumbing necessarily. 80 million. Uh, their birth rate is half of what it was in 2016. I didn't say 1816. I said 2016. <laughs> so since 2016, the Chinese are having half the number of children. The demographics are horrible. The population is aging like crazy. Um, the youth unemployment is so bad that they now are going to hide the statistics. Um, Mexico, I understand, just last year replaced China as the number one exporter to the United States because everyone is in nearshoring and moving factories and expanding the factory production in, in in Mexico so that they just bring it over the border instead of the South China Sea and politically stable and all the other all the other issues. It looks like uh, the, the the it looks like a the whole Chinese economy really was a Ponzi scheme, issued tremendous amount of debts, mm -hmm. buy assets, pretend that they were worth something, borrow against that, borrow more, pretend that the assets were worth something, borrow against that, and then continue. And that is a the very definition of a Ponzi scheme, where you're borrowing and, and, and assigning assets a certain value that aren't true, and then borrowing more against those assets. So... Um, are the Chinese going to be apologetic about this? Are they going to come and like try to like make nice? I mean, every other Monday, I think I'm reading that they're sending out a new initiative to make nice, 
uh, with, with everybody. You know, they're welcoming businesses back and they're doing this and that. But then on Tuesday, I read that they're bellicose and they're threatening us and they're going to they're going to you know blow up Taiwan and uh, make sure that uh, that our defense of Taiwan uh, ends up in a bloody mess for us. So, you know, where are we at here with this relationship? It seems beyond fraught with uh, with, with tension uh, and 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 potential uh disaster uh if the if their economy really does implode i do agree with you though it'll go the way of japan i mean anybody went to japan at the worst of the worst said i don't see anything wrong i mean the streets are busy the stores are full people are you know going out to going out to eat i mean japan never like collapsed like 1929 in america you know they didn't have a depression like that because they kept pumping up the economy with 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 more yen I think China is going to do the same thing. I, I mean, it could suffer and it's not going to be the same, but I don't think it's going to be desolate. I mean, I don't know, but that's the way it looks like. But where is it going to be with, with the United States relationship? Well, you, you know, you mentioned this idea about uh, kicking them while they're down. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, first and foremost, we have to think about our uh, relationship with China and what it means when we do prop them up. And when we do uh, support them and you know prevent them from from having a downturn or a crash, and so we have to remember the nature of the regime we're dealing with here. And I, I noticed, I know, I think you told me once that you got involved in this when you saw what they were doing with Tibet, and that's that's yes. been a long time ago. And yet here, finally, yes, during my college years, yes, I was aware of what they did in Tibet. Yes, it was it was it was a, it was a tragedy and a nightmare. And everybody's worried about the Palestinians, but they've forgotten about the Tibetans. Yeah. What what the Israelis do in the West Bank is 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 child's play compared to the the genocide that that the Chinese have committed on Tibet. Go ahead. Well, I thought of you when just yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, there's an article saying that the United States is going to sanction uh, Chinese yes. officials for the forcible assimilation of Tibetans, uh, that this uh, boarding school program, they're driving all the young Tibetans into uh, so they can drive their culture yes. out of them. And now we're going to uh, sanction them for that. Is that the kind of regime we want to be propping up? Or of course, there's what they're doing with the Uyghurs in the Xanjin uh, province. So we have to remember the nature of, of uh, this regime on that front, which I think you know Americans care about. And then uh, also we have to remember that to the extent we uh, don't kick them while they're down and to the extent that we prop them up, we're really enabling what I call their economic imperialism. Uh, you know, make make no mistake, they're not intent to share uh, the world's goodies with us. Uh, and I, I noticed just recently the uh, chairman of the Chinese auto company, BYD, called on his fellow China automakers to unite uh, so they can, quote, d demolish the old order uh, and take basically take over the world uh, uh, automobile market, which they are actually being very successful at doing with the electro electric vehicles in Europe right now. So, you know, they're not happy to, to share all those uh, sales with uh, BMW and these companies. They they want to dominate it. So uh, let's let's make no mistake about what their economic goals are and, right. and how much right. are we going to play so, into their hands? Okay. So we both know that for decades, um, you, if you were going to manufacture an automobile in China 
or do any kind of a technology manufacturing, you had to have a Chinese partner. Completely illegal, violated every World Trade Organization rule that there is. It was it was a shakedown, and you had to transfer technology, and you had to have a partner, and you know, the partner now is the Communist Party. I mean, this was like absolutely the stupidest thing in the world that the West could have ever done. Uh, it was to was to integrate their technology with these Chinese auto making partners and and partners in every other form of serious technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you think that Europe and the United States are smart enough now to turn around and say, no, we're not going to let BYD cars in. We're not going to dismantle Renault and BMW and Mercedes uh, and uh, the entire other you know, European manufacturing sector of automobiles, which employs about four million people and let China dominate this. Are we are, are we going to allow ourselves to to destroy our own industries? Uh, one more time, or have we woken up? What's the point? Where, where is that? I think the United States either has awakened or is in the process. I think Europe is behind us and on that curve right now. Wow! But I, I would guess that maybe yeah. next week, you know, it could, it could happen there. But uh, you know, in cars, I noticed also in solar that uh, that Europe has not awakened to this problem. And the uh, Chinese are undercutting the prices on solar in Europe, and Europe's doing nothing about it. So I'd say that uh, Europe is a step behind us and all that, but it's only a matter of time till they wake up to, to you know, what's happening here. So uh, that those are the reasons why, you know, we really should not be propping them up and we have every reason to hasten their demise, and certainly not to uh, to uh, put it off or 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 worse, avoid it. And and then uh, let's remember that uh, even with our support, uh, as you said, this Ponzi scheme has got to come crashing down. Uh, and you know the uh, you you your laundry list of of these um, problems. Uh, one other one we should mention is that the Chinese ordinary Chinese business person and consumer have awakened to this and they have no confidence in the future. So they are holding on to their savings. They won't spend, they won't invest. Uh, here, some of them are stuck with these. They put all their savings in these apartments that they can't sell. And so uh, the Chinese economy- right. Let me, let me- Right ahead. Right. And, and then they, the thing that really, beyond real estate, James, what's really interesting now is that the trust companies, the shadow banking trust companies are beginning to default. Yes. This is really serious, okay? So the apartments are one thing. It turns out that all the Chinese who, who saved money with the trust companies that had all these fancy names, uh, is, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the one that has $85 billion, is defaulting on its, on its ability to repay the borrowers. Why is that? Because they took that money and they also put it into real yes. estate. So, well, if, if you might have thought you're diversifying your portfolio by not buying an apartment, you're a, you're a wealthy Chinese person or semi-wealthy Chinese person, you have disposable income. So you gave it to these trust companies, which kind of implicitly had the government's backing because basically the government can do anything. It's sort of like the, what we have in the United States when the when Signature Bank went under and Silicon Valley Bank went under. The, the, the FDIC bailed it out. The federal government bailed it. It didn't want to see a, a run on the banks. I understand that. 
So they, they gave their money to these trust companies and they are now defaulting. This is, we're talking about trillions of dollars in, in, in potential defaults beyond the real estate sector. That's why everybody's talking about the real estate sector just being the canary in the coal mine mm -hmm. of the whole default of China, the whole the ability to default on their assets and their ability to repay people, okay? Why else we shouldn't go into help prop up China is, is, is bizarre beyond belief and that's nuclear. You know that they are tripling the number of warheads and nuclear bombs and, mis and intercontinental ballistic missiles that they have. They are building platform after platform all over China with silos and, and, and warheads and multiple reentry large warheads. They're completely modernizing this fleet. Where are those bombs headed for? Where are those ICMs going to blow up? What are they doing? Why in this day and age uh, where, where one or two of these things could basically destroy the entire world? I mean, if one of these goes off in Los Angeles or Miami or New York, that's game over for the planet. You and I know that. Why would they be spending billions of dollars to modernize a, 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 war, a multiple warhead reentry nuclear bomb capability? And where is that money coming from? It's coming from everybody goes to Walmart. And everybody who goes to Kmart and shops on Amazon. Now that's bizarre, isn't it? It is bizarre, beyond bizarre. I, it's it's hard to um, it's hard to imagine, really, Jonathan, how these militarists uh, within the the Chinese uh, party and infrastructure are are pulling that off. You know why? Um, you could see why they might want to build more ships, you know, so they could dominate more, you know, territory in the ocean. But right. this one's a real head scratcher. Uh, and I just, it's a, the thing that scares me is the parallel, the other parallel to Japan is the uh, imperialist militarists uh, takeover of the thinking there, you know, leading up to World War II. And there's a strong strain of that in, in, in China. And it, it does lead us to the question the, the the more specific question of you know, what's going to happen with Taiwan. My colleague, Roger Robinson, who uh, formerly of the National Security Council, formerly of the U.S.-China Economic Review Commission, um, is of the opinion that uh, China will be heading into Taiwan in 2024 or 2025. I think they would have gone in, in fall of 2022 if uh, Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine and given them pause. Uh, so if if this crash, um, if things get too difficult, I think the question for you to me to ponder is, would she try to follow Putin's playbook that worked so well for him starting in 2000, where he can go off and start a war and see his popularity go up to 80 percent? You know, might they resort resort to that uh, as a way to divert people's attention from all these problems you, you just described? A rational person would say, no, if you play that out, play that war game out, that and economically, that it just would be disastrous for them. But I'm not sure how rational they are. What, what is your thinking on, uh, on you know, how Taiwan might play out? I cannot believe that they would end, that they would end civilization by attacking Taiwan. I mean, it really would be the end of the world as we know it forever. Uh, we've talked about this once in a while in the past. Um, the shipping lanes would, would would come to a halt. Insurance would would prevent all exports from China. There would be zero shipping. We would throw an embargo on their oil. We would 
block, we would block the Straits of Hormuz. They would have no more oil from us. Uh, there would be sanctions uh, that would cripple their economy, cripple ours. It really would be a, a, a murder-suicide. Uh, they would they would commit suicide uh, by committing murder. That's my opinion. I, I refuse to believe that they that they would throw a monkey wrench uh, in, in, on the planet Earth uh, and uh, and and invade Taiwan for all the all the reasons that 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 I just spoke about. Mm -hmm. um, that's a game changer. That it would actually you know Ukraine was not essential to the world's economy. Yeah. Um, other than through agriculture, yes. But the people starving are the third world people, not people in Paris or the people in London or the people in Tokyo. So, you know, nobody cares about third world people. They don't have enough calories anyway. But Taiwan and the, and the Straits of Taiwan are central to the grease, the oil of the planet, the consumer planet and the technology of the planet with the, with the chips. Um, I, I, for some reason, I, I don't. I, I think that it would just be um, bizarre. It'd be unbelievable it would, that they would literally end the world as we know it. I don't think we could recover from that for 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 decades. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I think you're right on everything you've said as far as the consequences. And I fervently hope and pray that uh, that those who would make these decisions in China see that. <laughs> I, I really. Um, I, I think that's I think it will be avoided for those reasons, because uh, if, if you think this stuff through, that's where you end up. Um, so let's, um, you know, let's hope that the we get through the next couple of years and whatever. Uh, hopefully this is uh, not too soft, but a landing, but at least uh, not a crash. And they, they kind of go the way of Japan um, without their resorting to something like that. Yeah, I, I that that's just you know I have my opinion is worthless. I'm not a military strategist or whatever, but I I, I the, let's put it this way: the BRICS that they talk about, you know, they're at the meeting of the BRICS in South Africa right now. Um, we have to believe that that those countries would suffer so greatly, their economies would collapse from the lack of demand, the lack of export, the boycotts, the the, the sanctions. I mean, they would basically be, you know, putting the middle finger uh, to the world. Yeah. It's not just America, well, but you know, it's the yeah. world. I mean, they, maybe they, you know, they, they could, you know, I mean, you know, Germany did it. I mean, they, they you know it's possible. Yeah, I but, think the uh, you you know, know, the it, dangers it, are hubris and miscalculation. Uh, that if, if if there are people within their regime who think they could pull it off, you know, they might try. But uh, you have to hope that uh, it, it it leads inexorably to the conclusion you've reached that no, 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 we're not going to do that. And by the way, in case we were wondering if the rest of the world would stand up for Taiwan, Ukraine has taught us a lesson. Yeah, Ukraine has taught us a lesson. And you really look at the alliances with Japan and South Korea, mm -hmm. uh, the rearmament of Japan, the, 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 the increased arms in South Korea right now, the Philippines. I mean, the the swagger, the, the, the hubris, as you put it, of China in, in their own backyard what did I just read? Vietnam signed some sort of agreement with us to do something. I, you know, some <laughs> diplomatic thing. I mean, Vietnam. I mean, you know, that was. It's like they have really not only alienated, uh, you know, the, some people in the United States or whatever, or you know, war in the, uh, Italy has is now expressed extreme regret that they that they borrowed any money and participated in a Chinese equity program to build some sort of infrastructure there. They realize it was unnecessary and the, the terms are onerous and Maloney has 
has has uh, apologized and said she they would never do this right now. But in their own backyard, they've really pissed off almost everybody. I mean, you know, Australia's involved in this Five Eyes program, mm-hmm. and I mean, so they have to know that it, that 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 the entire Asian community would be in a state of shock if they invaded Taiwan, and it would possibly come to come to their defense certainly before they saw the the place completely um, completely taken over. It, it, that's what's that's what they've set up. They've set up basically a countervailing force to their own their own force from their own bellicose behavior. Is that not correct? Well, at least so. And you know, there's a striking parallel there with what Putin did. Uh, you know, the uh, NATO yeah. was on the ropes, and he just strengthened NATO NATO beyond measure. And I think that the China the China's behavior has had the same result with these new alliances among the United States and these Asian countries. Yeah. You know, let's kind of begin to wrap up. You know what really interests me now? Um, and again, you know, I, I I wrote this in 2017 about Putin, about, about Xi's one-man rule ruining China is an article I wrote in for the New York Observer 19, in 2017. They can't get rid of him. <laughs> it's like he can make every mistake in the book. He can he can he can do do COVID all wrong. He can lock down the entire country. He can piss off you know uh, the United States. He can piss off Europe. He can piss off all his neighbors bordering him in in Asia. Uh, he can you know he can have this collapse of the real estate bubble. Um, they can mismanage the economy. They, they the kids can't get any jobs. That doesn't make a difference. No one can even raise a voice. I mean, forget voting him out. I mean, you can't even criticize any of this. Mm. I mean, that is so bizarre mm. and so, so illogical how a country of one billion plus people has has no dialogue or conversation towards alternate ways of doing things or raising voices. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should reconsider this. Maybe this isn't the right thing. I mean, there's no voice that's going to oppose this. So there's no reason for this to get derailed uh, that I can see. It's just going to you know, lay, barrel down to to a disaster, like a horror movie where it's like you say, don't go in that room. You know that, you know, the murderer with the axe is in there and the audience is screaming, don't go in there. But you can't, they can't stop it because they can't hear you. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> You tickled me with that last analogy, but uh, it's not funny. So I think at the first level, what we have is the Communist Party, uh, their ability to control society as a whole. So, you know, that narrows things down to a few million people that are, you know, in the members of the Communist Party. And then you go to the Politburo and then you go to the the select committee. It's not the select isn't the adjective, but um, and then. and then you have, uh, you know, it used to be you'd have at least like a close second leader. And so the last time we talked about this, I, I distinguished uh, Russia from China, you know, Russia being true one man rule and China still having these these uh, party organs in place that that you and I learned about back in school, uh, you know, the Politburo and and these different committees. And then she over these past 10, 12 years has uh, purge them of anyone yeah. who um, yes it's like Stalin. yeah i mean mm-hmm. th- there was uh this this chilling video of uh his i think it was his predecessor who was at one of the big meetings and he just got escorted out you know remind, yep. and so um what we've seen i think these past five years is is she just purging uh, those 
Communist Party institutions of anyone who might uh, you know be opposing him or not be in his pocket. And so, unfortunately, I think we've arrived at just the place you've described. Which is really scary. It is. It, really it scary. really is. You have it's to hope a, yeah. at least one silver lining there is that she would be more rational and calculating when it comes to something like invading Taiwan, as opposed to his generals who might be stupid enough to do it. But that's the only silver lining I can see, because, as you said, uh, one man can make a lot of mistakes. Didn't he just purge some generals? Wasn't there just some giant shakeup in the in the military at the highest levels uh, in China? Evidently, there was corruption. Yes. And, uh, you know, which, of course, there's always going to be corruption. It's human nature. Yes, and also um, uh, their foreign minister went missing. Can you imagine the U.S. Secretary of State disappears? Uh, and from what I know, that <laughs> nobody still knows what the heck happened to the poor guy. Well, maybe he fell out of a window uh, in, in Moscow. <laughs> that's what that seems to be the way to get rid of your opposition these days. Just, you know, yep. they fall out of windows somewhere. Yep. OK, James, I don't, you know, this is not funny. You're absolutely right. It, with the world really is at a turning point. Uh, it's relied on the uh, the Chinese engine of growth uh, for over 30. They, they, I think the International Monetary Fund was projecting a 35 percent of the world's growth was going to come from China this year or last year. You know, and if that goes away and, uh, you know, I don't believe a word that, that, that the statistic that they send out. Uh, about the five percent growth rate of three percent. There are a lot of analysts out there that claim it's, you know, it's it's negative. It's not going to be three percent or five percent, even if that's their target. Um, pumping money into it now is 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 uh, diminishing returns. A dollar uh, in debt, nine dollars in debt brings now one dollar in uh, in assets. Where it was, yes, uh, three dollars in debt brought a dollar in asset. So you know, the more they pump in, the more they, the more deflation they're going to have. The more the you, you the more the renminbi is going to is going to decline, mm -hmm. uh, creating its own set of problems. You know, um, we just have to pay attention to this because we were you know led down uh, uh, a primrose path by the by the China story, both economically and politically. Mm -hmm. By uh, by Western leadership, it wasn't just Wall Street. Mm -hmm. It was it was uh, Silicon Valley. It was the Democrats. Mm -hmm. It was the Republicans. It was the Western mind. They just didn't exactly stand what the Asian mind really had in mind. Yes, <laughs> that sounds a little high, a little ridiculous, but it's not totally ridiculous. We didn't understand the Asian mind. Um, not that it's better or worse. Yes, it's just different. Yeah. So you know. Um, but we're understanding it now, and I think we're going to have to buckle up for the next uh, few years and see where this brings us. So anyway, you keep up your legislative and, and uh, Committee for Prosperous America work, and um, all we can do is fight against uh, fight against the, the, the uh, forces that uh, in China that would uh, not uh, seek harmony with us. And I think you're doing that. So could you keep that going? Oh, I'm really delighted to be taking part in it. Uh, I think we are at some kind of a historical moment, and uh, I think each of us, uh, you know, in our own way, has a responsibility to be aware of it, uh, take part, uh, partly through you know, your show here, for example, and and then uh, let that dictate some of our decisions on who we elect, uh, what uh, what we buy when yeah. we're at the store, what stocks we invest in, uh, and and yeah. then uh, each of us play our part because uh, this is a moment in history. 
Yeah, it is. Okay, James. Um, we'll put a pin in this. Thanks, thanks, listeners, for for tuning in. If you're hearing this, and um, you know, we'll keep abreast of events and have you back as soon as uh, as soon as we can. Thank you, Jonathan. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at OOTB with jrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, OOTB with jrusso. Listeners, believe it or not, we're on Instagram. Please follow us at OOTB with jrusso on Instagram. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.